0: I to, want uh, to thank you all as my church family for praying for me and for my family last week. Um, I was as sick as I've ever been. And uh, so thank you so much for your prayers for me and encouraging me. And those notes of reminding me, um, would I remind you when you're not well or in the hospital that God has something that he wants to do in you during this time. And so thank you for reminding me of that over this, this past week. Um, And it's certainly great to have another pastor on staff who has 40 years of preaching experience that I can call up on Saturday at 5 and say, I don't think I'm going to make it. Uh, I did some math uh, 40 years times about 50 sermons a week. That's about 2,000 sermons. I figured he's got one in his quiver he can uh, bring out and and preach. And uh, it was a great sermon last week. So uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2. So if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2 and let me pray for us. Lord, we have bowed our heads in prayer a lot today, uh, asking you, uh, coming to you, praising you, and so Lord, we come to you now, and we ask that through your word that you would speak to us, that you would meet each one of us where we are today, and that you would bring your word to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in Colossians chapter one verse twenty-four. Paul begins speaking about his work and his labor for the church and how he is uh, suffering for the church and uh, how he is just tirelessly carrying out this mission to to build a strong and unified church there in Colossae and throughout the uh, cities in the Roman Empire. And we see throughout Paul's ministry that he is tireless, almost obsessed with this vision that God has given him to plant and establish communities of believers throughout the Roman Empire with these strong people. Uh, strong communities gathered together in proclaiming the gospel and living out the gospel. And so in this section, in Colossians chapter 1, 24, through chapter 2, verses, verse 7, uh, we see Paul talking about why he is so passionate about this vision. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Paul Uh, The vision that Paul had for the church is that those local communities of believers, as they gather together in their diversity, Jew and Gentile, men and women, gather together in the name of Christ, that the mystery of the gospel was being revealed in them. This is the mystery. Christ in you, Paul says. This reconciling work of the gospel is being demonstrated through the church. And so Paul's uh, passion to see the church strong and unified together, his vision for that in Colossians chapter 1 is outward. He wants the church to be a demonstration to the world about what the gospel is all about. In chapter 2, he changes his emphasis. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says this, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A healthy and unified church is necessary for the outward demonstration of the gospel to the world. But here in verses 1 through 3, Paul turns inward. A healthy and unified church is necessary for the health and growth of individual believers in Christ. According to these verses, our unity as a church leads each one of us into a deeper knowledge of who Christ is. We need one another to grow in Christ. As believers, we need the church, and Paul knows this in his life. In his own experience, he knows how important the church is to his ministry. He knows how important their prayers are for him. He asks them to encourage him and to remember him when he is in chains. I think think sometimes we get this idea of Paul being this lone ranger. Okay, he just seems like this bigger than life individual who just goes out there and like conquers the world on his own. But that is not that's not what we get in his letters. In his letters, we hear a man who knows that he is dependent, desperately dependent, on his brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, In person, although not in thought, out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope and our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. To Timothy, he writes, Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. In so many of his letters, he begins talking about how he always remembers them and he prays for them and with tears is interceding for them. These relationships that Paul has with the other churches and these brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the Roman Empire are vital for his own encouragement and for his own spiritual well-being. And just think about in Paul's life about how strongly he reacted when John Mark turned his back and went someplace else when he was doing ministry. You remember that story? Paul and Barnabas had this young man named John Mark who left them in the middle of his ministry and Paul, it's like it hurt him so much that John Mark would leave that he he couldn't bring John Mark along any longer on his ministry. It wounded him so deeply that John Mark wasn't going to be able to come and it caused even a division between Paul and Barnabas at that time. These relationships with Paul were so vital to him in his spiritual life, and it hurt him when someone turned their back on him. And Paul finishes this entire letter of Colossians by saying, Remember my chains. <laughs> Remember me here. Do not forget where I am here in prison. Remember my chains. Paul has this tremendous sense of his dependency on his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that this sense of dependency is lacking in most of us. I know it's certainly lacking in me. Uh, we, we as Americans value independence, right? We have this great document, the Declaration of Independence, and we value this independence and this individualism, this part of our American life, and it's part of the, one of the good things of our American life. But... I think that we can become fiercely independent in our spiritual life as well to the point that it can damage our walk with the Lord. For Paul, these relationships are so vital to his walk with God. And when I see his examples, both in the book of Acts and in his letters, we see how vitally important these are for him. These relationships were necessary for him. Necessary for his spiritual well-being. So Paul is passionate about this goal of establishing strong, unified churches because he knows that he needs it. He needs other people in his life, and he also knows that we need it. We need the church. We need our churches to be strong and unified together if we are going to be healthy and to grow, and to grow up into the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let me read uh, verses 2 and 3 again. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That they would be encouraged and united in love so that, in order that, in other words, if the church is not united and encouraged and strengthened together, Christians will be missing something. They will not have access to the fullness of the knowledge and wisdom of who Christ is. And so there's four things that I've uh, placed in your bulletin about why we need the church. And, And the first is that our brothers and sisters lead us to Christ. Our brothers and sisters, lead us to Christ. All of us have had times of temptation. All of us have had times of suffering in our life. Times when we've sinned and we've felt so ashamed and we've needed our brother and sister to speak the gospel to us. To remind us what our brother Matthew read for us, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. We need our brothers and sisters to lead us to Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. It was just a quote from him. He says this, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without denying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And I love this part, and I have experienced it so many times in my life. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother, his own heart is uncertain but his brothers is sure. Tim and Jody, uh, would you come on up for a second? Tim and Jody Jones, our church uh, prayed for Tim and Jody and for their daughter Sandy. Uh, it was about a year and a half ago, wasn't it, when Sandy was in the hospital. And I've asked Tim and Jody to come up and to share for just a few minutes uh, the way that their discipleship group, uh, their Family group, those that they 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 call their closest brothers and sisters here at Broadway. The way that that group came around you during that time when Sandy was in the hospital.
1: This is a long, sad story, so I'm going to try to be really brief. Okay, uh, Christmas Eve, 2013, our daughter was um, What's my
0: word? diagnosed <laughs> diagnosed
1: leukemia. was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, this was. Terrible news, of course, but we uh, spent the next seven months uh, supporting her in uh, chemotherapy. And uh, that fall, she was pronounced in remission, was allowed to return to school. Unfortunately, in the following January, uh, cancer came back with a vengeance, um, a much more aggressive, much more dangerous form. Chemotherapy wasn't going to be enough this time. We had to have a transplant or she wasn't going to make it. Um, So we went through three or four months of chemo. And unfortunately, during that time, she got sick. She got a respiratory infection. Because she was um, immunocompromised, she couldn't fight it, got really, really sick. We ended up in the ICU um, and had to put our daughter on life support. And that was a really tough time. Um, Eventually, she got better toward the end of the month. She, uh, we ended up going to Indianapolis and getting a transplant for her and uh, spent a few months with her down there uh, watching her heal and uh, get past rejection issues. And then she came back to Fort Wayne for a few months to uh, do a longer heal-up, and now she is once again in remission. And Scott. next week we'll be allowed to go back to school. Praise God. So come in. This is a, like I said, a long, sad story, but, uh, but we're working toward a happy ending.
0: Amen.
1: Um, when this all began, I think that our hearts, our spirits were in the right place. We were strong. Uh, we had faith in our God, and we had confidence that he was going to deliver our daughter from this adversity. When the second time came around, we were worn out. We were tired. Um, We were stretched. And a lot of things crept into our head. Well, I'll speak personally. Um, I felt like maybe we were being judged. And maybe this was not going to come out so well. Through this whole process, our church family, and in particular our, our small group, they were supporting us. They were praying for us. They were praying for us late at night. They were praying for us early in the morning. They were praying for us at all hours of the night. I know that. When our days in the ICU came and... Toward the end of that, uh, you know, doctors tell me, okay, there's nothing we can do except keep things going. We'll know in the next few days what will happen. You need to prepare yourself for the decisions you might have to make. My heart turned to lead, and my knees turned to jelly. I needed something. I asked the group for prayers, and it wasn't, well, okay, brother, I'll pray for you, I know, and like that, it was, oh, okay, let's get eight or nine prayer warriors together, right here, right now, in this room, lay their hands on us, and pray for us out loud Mm -hmm. in front of God and everybody, (laughs) and it was awesome, (laughs) and do this three or four times, because we really needed it, we really needed those prayers. And later when we made those we we in ICU having to face tough, tough decisions. All you know, staying up all night waiting for something horrible to happen. I had brothers and sisters at my side, sometimes holding me up literally. And when Jody and I said we would love to be with you guys after all that but we can't pull ourselves away from the hospital we just can't we can't leave her they said no problem we'll bring the group to you <laughs> they all came and we had we shared a meal together downstairs they they paid for our meals because they knew we were broke at this point <laughs> very humbling but I mean, we had a we had a great fellowship. We had great time of encouragement. It was, it was awesome. And I said all that to say this. When we were weak, they were our strength. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. I just want to say that there is no way without... Uh, we, we have some family. They weren't here. We have friends in our, our past church family... But if it wasn't for them doing what God called them to do, and it wasn't out of just, i got to do this, they loved us, they took care of us, Um, they were there always asking, what can we do, what can we do? Not only strengthened, it just strengthened our soul, um, our faith, um, and I know that's what God wants us to be for everybody. And uh, they held us up, and we just want to say thank you again. They know, but we have become a family. Not only did it challenge our hearts, it challenged their hearts. It took all of us to a whole new level of our relationship with God, and that's exactly what Paul wants his church to be, all churches to be. Amen.
0: Thank you, guys. Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Our brothers and sisters lead us to Christ. Second thing is that the church is where we come to know Christ and practice Christ-likeness. And by knowing Christ, I don't simply mean knowing in our heads, not simply being able to recite verses about who Jesus is, but to really experience Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. It's in the church where we experience that reality. When we come and confess our sin to a brother or sister in Christ, and they say to us, "'Brother, you are loved, and you are forgiven.'" That's when we experience the reality of there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment about life in the church and how much different it ought to be than life in the world. Um, when you don't like a neighbor or you don't like a coworker. Uh, the view of the world is, well, forget them, right? I, I don't need it. I don't need to be bothered by them in any way. And uh, we have this phrase I was thinking about this week that many people will say, well, to hell with you, right? Forget you. I can just cut you out of my life. In the church... We are united together in Christ. And so when we don't like someone, when we have a problem with someone, we can't say to hell with you because we're united with them and wherever they go, you go. And so in the church, Jesus gives these instructions about what to do if your brother sins against you. And Peter says, Jesus, should I forgive my brother who sins against me seven times? And what does Jesus say? No. Seventy-seven times, or seventy-times seven times. If you are a follower of me, then your life is going to be characterized by forgiveness. It's in the church where we come to know Christ by experiencing Christ in our relationships with one another. These instructions about pursuing those who sin against us and forgiving one another over and over again remind us that our love for others is not based on what that other person can do for us or how valuable we think that they may be to us. It's based on something entirely different. Our love for the other person exists because God loves that other person and that is a person for whom Jesus died. And so if he loves them, I must also learn to love them. And in doing that, I come to know Christ. Did Christ not love you, the unlovable one? Did Christ not love me, the unlovable one? And so when we learn in our relationships with one another to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive, forgive, we come to know who Christ is for us. Because in your life, he forgives and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. A third reason that we need the church is that the church is a guardian of our hearts and minds. In verse 4, Paul says this, I tell you this, I tell you that you need to have a united, strengthened church. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The world is a perilous place for our minds, isn't it? Wherever we go, we encounter fine-sounding arguments about different ways to live our life. Ephesians 6 calls these the flaming arrows of the evil one, telling us that our faith is foolish, that Christ is a joke, that no one believes those fairy tales anymore, that the good life is found in the things of this world. The flaming arrows are hurled at us every single day. And so if we are going to be protected, if we are going to be safe from those flaming arrows of the evil one, we need the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Last year, I preached a few sermons on Ephesians, and we talked about the armor of God. And do you remember uh, the image I put up on the screen? I hit it up here today, but I I don't think it's working. The the image of the armor of God that we often have is that, that image of the medieval knight. The medieval knight in his, his armor. And the problem with image is that that armor was designed for one-on-one combat. The armor of God that Paul definitely had in mind in Ephesians chapter 6 was not a medieval knight going to joust or to fight a battle with some other great knight one-on-one. The image of the armor of God was the Roman army. And their shields and their swords and their weapons were designed to be used in concert with their brothers. And so their shields didn't only protect their own body, but it also protected the body of their brother standing next to them. We need the church because it's a place of safety. And in times of my life, I've watched this happen over and over again where I know a strong believer. I saw this in high school. I saw it in college. I saw it in seminary. I see it today where they say for whatever reason, they begin to separate themselves from the life of the church. Maybe they they remove themselves from their regular discipleship group or their Bible study, and then they slowly become a little bit less participatory on Sunday mornings. Maybe they uh, have a job on Sunday that gives them a better opportunity or whatever it may be. And just over time, I watch them slowly drift away and further and further and further away. I've seen it happen dozens and dozens of times. We cannot live a life of faith by ourselves. We need others, and it's within this community of others where we confess Christ, that we are safe. And when we step outside of the church and try to live our Christian life by ourselves, we are left exposed by the enemy. Exposed, I'm sorry, exposed to the enemy. Because it's in the church where that armor of God is most useful. It's the armor of God that's able to protect us from the flaming arrows of the evil one as we are lined up together fighting the battle. The last thing that I want to say here about why we need the church is that it reminds us that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. He says this in Colossians 2. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the Spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit. When we are a part of the body of Christ, we join together with a body that extends across space and across time. Paul tells us in Colossians that we are joined together to something bigger than ourselves, even though he is not with them in his body, he is with them in his spirit because they are joined together as members of the body of Christ. And when we are a part of the church, the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ from times past, and the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering throughout the world now, that becomes a part of our story. And when they suffer, we suffer with them. When they are victorious, we are victorious with them. And in your own life, as you go through temptations, and as you go through struggles, as you go through your own sufferings, remember that you are not alone. That you are part of something bigger than yourself. That no temptation comes to you that has not been experienced by others. And there are others who have been victorious over that. And you can join with them in that battle and experience that victory as well. Presently in the church in America, we have our, our blinders on. It's very easy for me to fret about our present political realities and to wonder if the church in America has a future. Friends, we are a part of the body of Christ that has extended across space and across time that has thrived in political circumstances far worse than ours. Far worse than ours. This is the body that we are a part of you remember Hebrews chapter 11. Turn with me there and we're, we're going to finish here today. Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews gives this list of heroes of the faith. He goes on about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and then he comes to verse 32 and it's, it's as if he just Can't contain himself any longer. Verse 32 What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, you are part of something much bigger than yourself. Even though I am absent from you in body, I am with you in spirit as a part of this great cloud of witnesses called the church. Paul finishes this section in this way. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. Thankfulness. continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. This comes right after Paul saying, we must have a strengthened and unified church because that's where it happens. You are strengthened and unified and rooted in your faith as you participate in the life of the church. As you reach out to those who are in need, as Tim and Jody did in that moment, and we know that they are going to, in turn, reach out and help someone who's going through a similar situation. As you come together around the Scriptures and study what the Word of God means to you, as we gather together here on Sunday morning, as we lift our voices together, as we hear the Word preached, as we confess our sin, all of these things are a part of being rooted and growing up in our faith. So this morning, I... I, challenge you, I think Alan already started it today, where might you take deeper steps into the life of the church? Uh, Where is God calling you to use your gifts in service to him, and where might you also receive the benefits of the gifts of others? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have created this strange group of people called the church. Lord, you tell us that we are not wise or strong in the eyes of the world. And yet through faith, through faith, we know that we are more than conquerors. So Lord, we ask you that you would make us a mighty army for your sake. That we would stand shoulder to shoulder and toe-to-toe as we fight the battle against the evil one who is seeking to destroy us and devour us. Lord, may we protect one another, and may we fight for one another.
2: In Jesus' name, amen.